The Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, a podcast focused on helping geotechnical engineers stay up to date with technical trends in the field. I'm your host, Jared Green, and I've practiced as a geotechnical engineer for over 18 years. And in addition to practicing engineering, I enjoy mentoring young engineers and first-generation college students. I focus on helping to increase the number of pre-college students that are interested in STEAM majors and fields by STEAM, that's science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics. In this episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast, I'll be talking with Dr. Antonio Marinucci, PhD, MBA, PE, the founder and president at V2C Strategies, LLC. We'll be talking about project management for geotechnical engineers and also the importance of being a lifetime learner. Dr. Marinucci has over 25 years of progressive experience in the civil and geostructural design construction industry. He provides services and practical solutions to engineering, business, risk, legal dispute, and technology concerns facing clients in the engineering and construction, transportation infrastructure, and capital development sectors. He's licensed in 14 U.S. states and Washington, D.C. He's also an instructor for the FHWA National Highway Institute and is an active member of numerous professional organizations, technical committees, and various practical research efforts. Dr. Marinucci has co-authored more than 50 peer-reviewed technical publications. And with that, let's jump right into our conversation with Dr. Antonio Marinucci. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Geotechnical Engineering Podcast. Antonio, it's great to have you here. How are you doing, man? Great to be here. Thank you. I'm doing well. All right, great. Well, we just said your bio, but uh, in your own words, can you tell the listeners a little bit more about what you do on a daily basis? What's a typical day look like for you? I work for myself. That leads into the no typical day. So, I've got a consulting business where I deal with both technical issues or technical projects, as well as management, business management consulting. I'm also engaged in research efforts. I'm in the throes with some partners of launching another startup. And I volunteer on different technical organizations, professional groups. So a little bit all over, depending on the day and depending on the deadline and task at hand. And when you say work for yourself, do you have staff as well or is it you am i looking at everybody you're looking at the only full-time employee but through a great network group both here within the u.s as well as globally when an issue arises if i need additional we scale to the project i have to imagine that project management skills are like super important for what it is you do and yeah what would you say for engineers that want to know what are the benefits of developing project management skills what would you say to that There are so many benefits to getting involved, getting learned about what project management is. Technical aspects of our work are the widget, the small part. So they are the means to the end. 
but it's the project management and the business aspects that really drives everything. The decisions, the risk, the human resources, the capital expenditures, and how to put that all together and keep things on track is really key. So managing not just the technical, but also the human sociological as well as the cost and really understanding all the key players as part of the game and where everybody's coming from and their own biases or self-interest or risk exposure and comfortability. So it's, it's understanding how it all comes to play and it's extremely crucial, especially if you want to get out and keep growing within an organization or even moving between them. How do you learn that? I mean, you could take classes, you're learning at the job. I mean, how does one get that experience? There's so many different ways, especially now with the onset and now integration of even online learning platforms like edX and MOOC and even different schools that are available that do online training programs and then just showing up and learning. So getting involved with, you know, your professional associations, both locally as well as nationally. And who you work for also helps to influence. So having a good mentor, being engaged what's going on, not just coming in doing the, oh, for lack of a better term, the nine to five, come in, do your job and leave. There's so much more to going with it. But it also depends on your own career aspirations. So where do you want to go? I have friends who are very happy with, I'm an engineer, I want to do my design work, and then that's it, and I've got other interests, and others who go, I want to get to the top of that pyramid and let's go, or top of the mountain rather, and let's go. There's so much to it. Learning from everybody. There's so many things to see, not only within our discipline, but also across all the various industries out there. There's always something to glean. One of my favorite pieces that I've read and kind of transformed how I thought about our industry was Jack Welch, the CEO of GE his book straight from the gut. He has a, well, had a PhD in chemical engineering and rose to become the CEO of one of the world's largest corporations at the time. And it was like, what made you go that way? What influenced you? What did you see? What did you do? And just trying to understand from people who've been there. You're right. The mentoring is so important. And then learning from others, you know, seeing somebody that's a place where you want to be and, and learning from them you probably get more there from a textbook in some cases, but it's important. You need both the technical and then the business acumen comes with time as you're working with people and asking questions. And I guess you never get to the point where you've finished learning, right? Oh, Lord, no. And if you do, it's time to move on to something else because you've achieved everything you possibly could. That would be pure hubris to think that you've learned everything there is possibly to learn. One of the things that's uh, important for your firm is providing practical solutions to engineers, right? Can you think of an example where you had to act fast in order to avoid a crisis and you could share with us? This may sound strange, but it was examples I have in mind are not technical. They're different. So there's a couple of examples that come to mind of just being truthful with your client, of even giving them answers that they not necessarily want to hear at the moment and may not react well to at the moment, but will come back later with some consideration and go, I didn't like it. I wasn't happy about it. However, now I see why. And that's happened a few times where people have tried to accelerate a project and you're sitting back with the owner or the client and saying, this is not a good idea. Now, let me explain to you why. 
and they're mad going, yeah, but you know, on paper it says da 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 da. And now you're having to peel back what was told to them and they've had in their head stewing for a while. And now, you know, shift gears and go, but here's what I see. And being truthful and respectful as you're going through the process, understanding their position. There have been more than a few times where I've learned a lot from those conversations of where they're sitting and how that affects how I now can structure my approach to them. There have been others where it's managing emotions, especially in negotiations or in dealing with a contract or a working relationship or engagement, and just getting everybody to calm down and understanding cultures, especially outside of the U.S., or dealing with people who are not necessarily all of the same culture. So mannerisms, tone, language, respect, and knowing going, hey, this is a great time for a bathroom break or a coffee break. Let's stretch our legs. We've been sitting for a little while and kind of get everybody to diffuse that and then go, all right, let's try it again. So it's been those kinds of aspects that have been the quelling point instead of going, oh, my God, yeah, we should have used this factor instead of that. And here we go. Or let's change the technique, even though there have been some of those in understanding your client. So if you're working with a contractor, what their capabilities are, but it still takes time. It's not an immediate, oh, my God, if we don't do this, we need to call 911. So there is some trade-offs there. So, yeah, I think it's on the softer side rather than the harder technical that I've seen the most impact or where those solutions really come into play. This is coming from an emotional type guy that I've had to learn how to dial that back about seven, eight notches. So you're a little louder before, a little more expressive and kind of bring it back. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> well, knowing your audience is, is super critical. I mean, when you're providing recommendations or a solution, and especially when you're providing what one could say is bad news, right? Explaining that in a way that, you know, this is what it is, right? And this is why it is this way, but this is the way we're going to deal with it, or the way we're suggesting you deal with it. Sharing that news is, is important. And how to do it is, is there's usually a finesse to that. Sometimes you find out the best way to do it by kind of screwing up, right? <laughs> and by screwing up, you don't forget. It's like, all right, I'm not going to say it that way. Yes. And I have plenty of those. <laughs> so that's important. I, I can think about times where you're sharing bad news, but you're not making it the headline. It's kind of buried in in the message and, and people miss that. And so you got to say, hey, this is what the issue is, right? And this is why we think it's an issue. So here's why it won't work. But let me tell you, here's a couple of other alternatives that possibly could fit in here. Always having, as an older boss once told me straight out of college, don't come in here with the problem without three possible solutions. At the time, I was like, well, I just need the answer. But then as you get older, as they say, it's like, that was the best piece of dang advice I ever got. It was like, think through what's going on. You know, this is chess. By the time you come to the office, you say, all right, these are the three things I've thought about, but this is the one I think we should do. And oftentimes it's like, yeah, that's the right answer. And then having the why behind it to support your critical thinking. And that's critical thinking is huge. I've come to respect it more and more as, as I've marched through this career. When you think about your career, when you go back, right, you think about geotechnical projects. Can you think of one that stands out? There's something there you want to share with the audience? I was blessed right out of undergraduate to go work on the Big Dig. So the Central Artery Tunnel Project in Boston 
straight out of college, new kid, didn't see much, but really fascinated by it all. I grew up as a working for my father in residential construction as a carpenter. So building things and playing with and trying to understand. And then you show up in the world's biggest sandbox with all the greatest toys known to me. Everything was being done somewhere in those few mile stretches within Boston. And the machinery, the people, the activities, the frenetic pace of it all, it was just like, wow. I was blessed on a project where they were like, if we have a better solution, let's try it. Let's hear it out. Nothing's too dumb, even though we may tell you that was dumb. There may be something in there that's like, oh, we could pull this out. And my boss, uh, Paul Padini, was like, in a matter of a couple of years here, you will learn far more about our industry than any five years in any business school. And sure enough, he was right. I saw everything from accounting and human resources through the technical construction to collapses and how do we now fix something that's 60, 70 feet below ground? How do we do something while we have active highway up above you while you're trying to cut a column? So it was 100 foot long rebar cage up in the air, you know, five feet away from the highway structure, 30 feet from a building and trying to put it in a diaphragm wall panel. So Learning from a welder on the job, he went, you know, come here, kid. And I was like, okay. It's like, all right, he's going to tell me something or scream something didn't work. And he was like, show me how I'm supposed to weld this. And he had the piece there and he put the stick welder in my hand and he's like, it's off. So don't worry about it. He goes, show me how I'm supposed to weld this joint. I'm sitting there going, and he goes, yes, exactly. He goes, now go the hell back in the office and give me something that works here. And it was one of those things that I'm like, I said, I understand your point because my hand doesn't fit. Explain to me what you mean. And he did. He spent 10 minutes and I went back in, explained it. We wrote up an RFI of what this the situation was, came up with an alternative and went to work. But it was like being there and learning from the guy who was actually doing it. It was like, never thought about that trying to, and we didn't design it. So mind you. But it was just looking, going, okay, so even people who were experienced well into their careers, sometimes things get through the system. And it's like, okay, you got to learn from everybody. You got to have open communication and trust. That's one of the worst situations you can be in is when you've been paid to design something, right? You've designed it. It's been bid upon. And now somebody's getting ready to construct it and it can't be constructed, Right. And it's like, did you take time to think about how we're going to actually construct this? Is it buildable? That's a hard lesson to learn. But when you learn it, you hopefully only learn that once. One hopes. Exactly. But oftentimes, I mean, we have the RFI process. So this does happen. That What does it look like in the field? Coming back to the Jack Welch book in there, there's a line he says in a few different places. And it stuck with me. He said, it's okay to make a mistake, just not the same one. It's stuck in my head ever since I read that. It's like, it's okay to goof up, but just don't keep goofing up the same exact thing. Exactly. Because at that point, you're not learning, right? <laughs> and that was the key. It's like, all right, if you can't be teachable, you got to go. So we think from an educational standpoint, I love that you have not just a PhD, but a PhD and an MBA. So kind of walk us through that. Like, how has that impacted your career, having those two degrees, which oftentimes seem like Opposite ends of the spectrum or different ends of the spectrum. Looking at the same ball, but from different poles of the ball and sometimes with conflicting interests or viewpoints. Honestly, it's been great. The 
additional education came out because of an old motor vehicle accident. I was recovering from all the mess. And I was like, okay, I was working construction, working 80 hours a week. And then you go to zero and it's like, okay, I need something to do. So I started, kept going. And while I was trying to finish my master of science, got into the MBA and it completely changed how I saw most of everything. It got into the, why are we doing what we're doing? Never mind the technical part. It was all the other, the sociological aspects that I was like, yeah, okay, poo-pooed it all my career or even life. And then you got into it and had good discussions. And it's like, oh, wow. It just opened my eyes to so many different things. Learning about even accounting, as boring as that may be, it made me understand why the accountant at the last company had kept screaming, was always screaming at me when I turned things in. And he was like, why do you keep doing this? The second week of accounting class, I called him up and apologized. I was like, I am so sorry. I said, I got it. And we had a great conversation, but it changed how we do things. Everything in business school was about writing and presentations, communication of thought, orally written, always in front of a group, always working as part of a team. Those things that we not necessarily take for granted, but maybe skip over is what was really reinforced in that program. So you put the technical in the PhD and you expand the way you think, the way you ask questions, the way you delve into to keep ripping apart. The other side fulfilled all the rest of the project. And it's been very completing that where one is, the other one balances out. And every day I, I play on both sides. To me, it's exciting. You know, when you think about engineering and what is engineering, a lot of times you think about it as technical problem solving. And I would imagine that if you can get an engineering degree, you can get other degrees, right? You've learned how to learn. So that's great. So it sounds like when you're problem solving, you know, sometimes you're using the MBA brain, sometimes you're using the PhD brain, right? But it's still you. Exactly. And especially when you're dealing or interacting with different project stakeholders at different levels, all the questions and interests are different. So if you're dealing with a small mom and pop client or the federal government, and depending where you are, the interest levels, the risk acceptance or exposure levels are completely different. Financing is <laughs> completely different. It's been able to foster and facilitate my love of learning, even though I almost didn't make it out of high school. <laughs> wow, look at that. That's amazing. It all works out eventually. That circle, man. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is the benefit or the importance of being engaged technically and also in professional organizations? Because you know, there's a lot of time that goes into the job. There's a lot of time that goes into giving back professional organizations. But what would you say is the, the value, the importance, and how do you do it? What would you share with our listeners on that? There are many benefits. First of all, if you're working for a company and you're engaged, it's networking, it's marketing, both of yourself as well as the corporation or the organization. There's also a learning aspect to it all. You're learning from those who are doing it. And if they're around that table, they're engaged. They're the ones actually doing it and pushing for something better for the most part. So you're learning from the movers and shakers in our industry. And who doesn't want to be rubbing elbows with the folks making the decisions? Even though from an engineering point of view, we sit back and go, oh, I've got to send X amount or I'm going to go there for three days. And you go, I'm not going to be 
productive for 20 hours or whatever it is, yes. But on the other hand, you're also meeting a whole new group of people. You'll be seeing possible clients moving, you know, now or maybe later, especially if they're impressed with you, going to call you up and go, hey, I heard you speaking about X, Y, Z. We have that issue here. And all of a sudden, something that may not been readily available is now sitting in your lap. So it's hard to turn or gauge the return of investment of that, but there's so much of it. Not to mention there's the personal gratification of paying it forward. You've learned, learned from others. Well, why not help others? So you may be mid-career, but there may be entry-level people coming through. You can now help to foster them and move them through the system. Friendships. Some of my best friends are in this industry. And personally, I've blended my work and social life where there is no boundary. I enjoy going somewhere and seeing certain people. I like going to see new cultures, new areas, meet new people. And it's kind of all come together. And so people go, oh, don't you hate traveling X amount a year? It's like, no, I really enjoy, I miss, and this is what COVID has done. It, It made me miss seeing certain people like yourself. We used to see each other at conferences. Now it's like we're resorting to these rectangles on the screen, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Hopefully only a little bit longer. Out of necessity rather than this is what we want to do. Many benefits. So from the corporate point of view, there's a marketing aspect, a networking aspect. You could possibly even find new employees bringing in and go, hey, this didn't cost us anything. I met this person. This person, we need to bring this person in. You know, they're at such and such. They may not be happy or they're looking for a change. Let's scoop them before somebody else does. So there's so many different places to see benefit. There's so many different types of geotechnical organizations to be a part of. And I think when you find the one that you like, that's why I always tell young staff, so go to different events, see which ones you like, see which group of people kind of jive with you, right? And then when you find the one that you like, go to more, raise your hand, join that committee, lead that committee. And you're right. You end up spending so much time with these people and you say, wait, we actually have a lot in common. I actually like being around you. So it's a win all around. I agree with that. Not to mention it also broadens your speaking ability and presentation skills and learning how to interact in an extremely diverse group where maybe not everybody shares your same viewpoint or positions or beliefs for that matter. As we've seen more recently here, as they say, it polishes the stone. It gets rid of the jagged edges and it keeps working on you and constantly, constantly working on yourself. And you're constantly marketing. That's what engineers fail to realize. This is a marketing both for your side as well as mine. You go to a conference, there's a marketing. You speak to somebody in a positive way or in a not so positive way. It could be good marketing or poor marketing. Yeah, people can make that decision. It's like, I'm going to hire this person or I'm not going to work with that firm. It can happen like. So like publishing research and case histories and case studies and then presenting it to others. What do you think about that? I mean, I I know you do it a lot, but uh, you tie it back to marketing and improvement of the organization. It's the marketing aspect. It's also the organization. It's conveying what you've done, the cool projects, especially if it's a unique or very rare type of project or something very unique about that aspect that you're working in. Even if it's a typical project, there may be something very niche oriented. It's like, oh, this is cool. The other part, it helps to train your brain on how to communicate. So take something that you know very well 
and now put it on paper in a way that somebody who may not have any understanding is now reading this and now can understand what you're thinking about, which also helps you in your career. So the better you could communicate in the written or oral sense, the more or the further you're going to go in your career. Better advancement, better opportunities, higher growth. And, you know, who from an organizational point of view doesn't want somebody who's going to keep growing and being hungry all the time and go, yeah, I want to do this. Let's keep going. Let's keep driving. Let's push what we're doing. Antonio, you're super busy. And you think of all the demands you have for work and technical organizations and things like that. I understand you're also an instructor for the National Highway Institute, and you're also doing things at the university level. Why and how? How is the, it fuels me. I get energy by doing it. I get excited getting in front of a group and going, here's the little bit I know, and here I want to share it with you. I've seen it ever since my first geotechnical course with Dr. Kovacs back at the University of Rhode Island. He's now passed within the last year, but he made it exciting. Bring something new, explore, and just have that sense of wonder of like, wow, oh, that's cool. Oh, I never knew that could happen. And then you go out as we do, and you see it in the field and go, that little sketch on the board, is that's it. So to me, there's the learning aspect of really have to learn what you're talking about. You can't just look at the, the crib notes and go, oh, okay, yeah, here it is. You have to understand it. You have to communicate it to somebody who may have 30 years experience or may have three months out of undergrad. Taking that concept, bringing it forward, and then you're also paying it forward. So you learn from people. You're there to help somebody else to hopefully do a better job, but also get promoted or excel within their place. And then there's the, always the marketing and networking aspects, but those are not even secondary. They're much further down the line at least in my opinion. It's that excitement, just getting there and, and working with people and going, ha, yeah, I remember this. Here, let me share this. And you kind of go, as I tell people, at one point, every now and again, I'll just be there. And I'm like, wow, they're actually listening to me? When did I become that guy? That's like, oh boy. <laughs> That's awesome. It's incremental. So you get to the point where you're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. You did mention a big dig and that was a massive project, but Listeners here, right, they're going to be working on large projects, maybe not as big or maybe as big. We never know. It's a lot of infrastructure getting ready to be on the docket. What advice can you give for working on a very large project and you're this engineer out there? What things to be thinking about, what things to watch out for, what things to try? A couple of big things that jump out is be practical. We have to construct whatever's on paper. So understand it, be practical, be economical. Always keep learning not just on paper, but from everybody around you. You can ask a competitor as long as they're friendly. You could talk to different vendors. You could talk to other engineers. Always be learning. There's always something to improve upon. Keep a top or abreast of advancements, innovations, because you never know when something will get to you and you're like, oh, you know, this might be a great application for XYZ. And we're seeing that more and more. You know, AI is coming. 4D, 5D scheduling, costing, modeling is coming. BIM. We have robotics. There's so much coming. It's almost like, wow, where does one begin? But begin. It's like start somewhere. Some of the other things, I guess, would be think critically, always ask questions, be respectful, be humble. Don't go out there thinking you know everything because there surely is somebody who knows more than you. 
especially about a topic and you might hit the wrong person on the wrong day with a comment. And I've seen it done to the point where I was agog at, oh my God, that was impressive. I really don't want to be on that person's point of view, but I would love to know how that person up here keeps all that in their head and was able to rattle that off one after the other. So there's a lot. Visit the sites. I mean, go out there. Don't talk to somebody in the middle of their task, but you know, ask questions. So if you're interested in drilling, for instance, in foundation construction, big drilling, talk to the operator, talk to the foreman, ask them, okay, so when this is happening, what do you see? How do you know when it's good? How do you know when it's bad? What would you change? There's so much to learn from the folks doing it that we sometimes as engineers totally discount them. And it's like, they are the key element. There's so much from a really widespread to really niche. There's just keep learning. When you have a, a big project, there's usually a lot of things happening over time, right? And if you're out there for some time, you get an appreciation for how long things take, what things look like, how things get connected. A lot to learn. Yeah. And you can learn from each phase and how each phase sets the next one up and relies upon the prior and how decisions are made and how they affect the schedule, the cost, the construction. And if you can understand more than your piece, you become ever so more valuable. The more valuable you become, the more value the company or organization sees in you. And now you're both working in synergy and you're moving up together. We're going to come back in just a minute and close this one out with Dr. Antonio Marinucci in our Career Factor Safety in segment. Stick around. All right, welcome back. It's time for our Career Factor Safety in segment. In geotechnical engineering, just like many disciplines of engineering, it's important to incorporate a factor of safety into your design. But what about incorporating a factor of safety into your career? Today, of course, we're speaking with Dr. Antonio Marinucci. Dr. Marinucci, you've already had a very successful career. When you look back at that career, what's one thing that you implemented to give yourself a factor of safety in your career? One of the first things I would jump out is being able to see the entire picture. So not just my little piece where I'm standing, but everything from 50,000 foot view to in the ground, as well as the interest levels of each of the stakeholders around that table. So that definitely is something that is key to what I do, as well as the networking aspect. You don't know everything, but there's somebody who knows what you're looking for. Have access to them. You know, if a listener heard something and said, man, I really wish I get in contact with him, what's the best way for people to reach out to you in social media or an email you want to share? They can reach me, uh, have a company website, www.v2cstrategists.com. My info is there, my or telephone number, email, and there's a contact me link there. So that's the easiest way I could probably say. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was great. Thank you for having me. And remember, always be curious, be hungry, be learning, be working, be evolving, and always be humble. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. Please feel free to go to geotechnicalengineeringpodcast.com, where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, 
that being episode 25, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, we wish you the very best in all your geotechnical engineering endeavors. Peace. The Geotechnical Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the host and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineers, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.